What's cracking? Welcome back to Rogue Space. We have a big episode today. Um, tonight, we have Dillweed and yours truly, your Valgal. And tonight, we're discussing a biggie. Uh, me and Dylan are be talking about A New Hope. So, me and Dylan just finished group watching it. And during our little watch, what would you say happened, Dylan? Well, it was pretty wild because when I was coming home from work, I caught wind about all this Star Wars news. We're filming this on December 10th. And uh, all this stuff just came out about Star Wars projects that are upcoming. And we literally found out that Hayden Christensen is coming back to the franchise in some way after all these years in exile. 10 years, I think. I think 15, right? What? Technically, right? Oh, this is so bad. I don't know when the prequels came out, but yeah. No, yeah, because I, I think episode three came out in 2005. 15 oh my gosh our king has finally returned his crown has been waiting for him this entire time but it's gonna take the mold of something a lot more sinister but maybe we'll have more flashbacks of like stuff we didn't get to hear from the two uh obi-wan and anakin and that's supposed to be in the obi-wan series for people who don't know uh in addition to something like the ahsoka limited series and that's gonna have what rosario dawson Hell yeah, Ahsoka gets her own series, which you you don't you're not really watching the Mandalorian right now, right? Yeah, I still haven't. I, I last night when I was at Mon's place, uh, I watched the first ten minutes of like episode two of season two. Oh uh, wow! So like that's all I've gotten to see so far though. But I, I was hooked from just that, and I'm like, okay, I gotta watch it soon. Yeah. So she her episode on the latest one, it kind of like was setting up. Like, a lot of viewers were like, hey, this is setting up, like, definitely, like, a different series, whether it's, like, a Rebels continuation or, like, maybe even Ahsoka. So to hear that it's, like, Ahsoka's time to shine is really, like, exciting. Yeah, the only, I guess the only thing I could have wished for more of this limited run is that they would have given the role to someone who's, like, a little lesser known. Because, like, as we'll get into with episode four here in a couple of minutes uh like the original talent for that trilogy was all just kind of like relative nobodies at the time and that's what i liked so much about the original trilogy is that they gave these like fresh faces roles that turn them into like hollywood mega stars in a sense because of the rise of the entire franchise from that point on so i was hoping like as awesome as rosario dawson is i think she was what gamora no, that was Zoe um, Saldana, I think. Oh, okay. But um, I would have liked to seen like, yeah, you're right, like a different character, just because I've already heard of like controversies like surrounding Rosario. I see. So, it, yeah, kind of so, a bummer. Yeah, that's about the only thing I could kind of nitpick. Otherwise, I think it's it's such a phenomenal take on filling in these like blanks in the franchise. And usually I'm not like one that's so big on like, oh, you have to explain everything about lore in a certain series, especially if there's like huge gaps. Like I, f I feel like we don't always have to talk about what happened in between that time because then mm -hmm. it kind of like shaves away some of the mystery that pulls us into these characters, like intriguing backstories so much. But I feel like in this case, especially with a fan 
favorite like ahsoka i i feel like it's definitely warranted in addition to what else we got a droid story i think that's like the last thing we'll really speak on here and it's like both of us aren't really that excited for it but r2 and c3po kind of guiding a new character i think that'll be interesting because we have obviously episode four here and they're so pivotal to how the plot ends up moving that i think it'll be interesting to see them work within the framework of a different character yeah it'll be interesting it's like two main characters but also kind of i feel like it's definitely going to be like removed from the main storyline that it will be different yeah definitely so yeah that's about it but super exciting news especially hayden uh i'm just so pumped and i'm sure you are like over the moon over all the moons i know did you see my response to milan's i was literally i I think you're the first person to tell me. So I was like doing my homework and I got the notification of what you sent me. And I was like, um, I need to check the source. And then I saw it was from like Star Wars's official Twitter. And I was like, oh my God. So then I jump on Instagram and then I see that they posted like the Soka and all the other ones. And I was like, did they get hacked? Like, did something just happen? Like, I couldn't believe it. Well, that that's what sent me into such a spiral. I was like, oh my god, this can't be real. Because I was seeing it crop up in a couple Discord servers that I'm in. In like the film and TV sections that are in some of those servers. And I didn't want to believe it at first. I'm like, this is some bullshit, right? But no, it, like it's actually true. And then if you go on the official Star Wars website right now and you go onto that blog post about all the upcoming projects where i think it starts off with like uh rogue squadrons that film uh that's coming out directed by that uh woman uh director which will be pretty cool um i think if you scroll down a bit and you go to the, where the obi-wan section is it literally shows a picture of hayden and it has a quote from him there too oh my gosh i am so excited yeah, it's crazy how much he still looks like himself. I know that's like a weird thing to say, but but it's kind of wild that even with short hair, you could tell that's definitively Anakin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird to think that, like, obviously him and Ewan McGregor, like, obviously aged since filming the prequels. And this is happening after the prequels, but, like, not in the same time span of, like, how much they aged. But, I mean, Hollywood magic, right? They're going to be able to fix that right up. But I don't think they look old, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely not. They just look a little more, I guess, uh, um, you know, aged like a fine wine. Because those two mm -hmm. men, they really they really can't age. They know no such concept. Yeah, he looks so good in Birds of Prey. I was like, wow. Yeah, yeah, seriously. I didn't even know that was him at first until, like, I started piecing it together. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> that's Ewan. Same. I was like, I was looking at him and I'm like, he looks so familiar. Like, where is he uh, yeah, from? Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's that's what I was good. Like when I saw it in theaters before lockdown happened, I was like, oh my god. Like I like for the first like maybe 40 minutes of the film, I was really trying to think through. I was like, you know, he looks so familiar and his voice, like there's something mm -hmm. about it. Even with the American accent. <laughs> yeah, even with that American accent he was doing. Yes. Um so all that came out, so we were pretty hyped during our group watch, but um, main event tonight is going to be A New Hope. Yes. Let's just get started on that. We did not write as much of our thoughts as we did for Revenge of the Sith, 
But I mean, this movie, like by itself, is like literally the first Star Wars movie. So it's like its own like levity to that. Definitely. And uh, I think we had at least a little more going on in our heads for this movie than we did with Rogue One. So credit where credit's due. <laughs> I think I think we wrote a decent amount, especially you. So we could kind of get started on like, um, yeah, just this being the first movie released, like for it to come out in the year it did. When was it exactly? It was 1978? I think it was 77? 77? I don't know. I thought yeah. I looked it up because I was like, dang, Mark Hamill is looking pretty good. Yeah, 77, you're right. Okay, yeah, he's, yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's looking pretty good in this one. And uh, I guess like really the entire cast is, even when Java shows up. But, you know, let's, let's not uh, spoil the surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know, for this movie to be released when it did, um, I think it's so interesting where it kind of staked its claim in the franchise to be because none of this was probably really elaborated upon when it was going through filming. Like I, I, I have heard from Jake, my friend who's really big on Star Wars for those who don't know that he kind of had all this stuff envisioned from the start. That's why things like obi-wan's and anakin's storied history are kind of there and present in this film but i don't think he really had it all planned out until episode five came out you know like i I don't think things really started coming to fruition until then in terms of like giving everything a name and and uh kind of like grounding everything within this universe i think this one is more so just almost an experiment in a way and and what I was going to ask you is like, isn't this strange that this is essentially an indie film that got a budget? I haven't thought about it like that. Yeah, because if, if you think about it, like this is essentially akin to like some of the strange ideas we started getting later on in the 80s with like the Evil Dead and stuff like that. Um, but on such a large scale and i know obviously it had a budget backing it on like a lot of other films at the time but it's so interesting to see it as where it is in the franchise at how it was an indie film in the sense that this guy was literally just taking a chance on everything and and casting it to the wind and just seeing what took flight yeah i thought um the indiana jones movies came out first but i looked it up and this came out first, which is so funny because whenever I see like Harrison Ford, I'm like, that's Indiana Jones. But now it's like, this was kind of like, this came before that. Yeah. Isn't that strange that it kind of put him on the silver screen and same with Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill. Like they, they were pretty much fresh faces in Hollywood at the time. Like they, they're relatively unknown. Yeah. But I just found out that, Carrie Fisher's mom was the grandma in Halloween Town. Oh, was she really? Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was her mom. But I was like, no, what? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I read this somewhere. I I, I forgot who exactly um her uh grandmother is, but I remember uh oh, Debbie, our, uh, Debbie uh, sorry, her mom. Yeah, mm-hmm. Debbie Reynolds, okay. And then this is off topic, but then I just found not like recently, but like um, that Carrie's daughter is in like a lot of the American horror stories. Oh, wow. Really? I was like, what? 
Small yeah, world. no idea. Yeah, Debbie Reynolds, she was in Singing in the Rain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. <laughs> well, yeah, seriously, small world, huh? But yeah. not that small when it comes to Star Wars, though, because like just starting out here, like something like the opening s- scrawl, like of text, like what do you think of that? Like, do you think that was meant to be a staple in the way it was, or do you think it was kind of just like so many other things in this movie where it was just like kind of seeing what floats? I think it was like I have this idea I have this idea and I'm gonna give it a try and it ends up being like this most like iconic thing. But like I don't think he really meant it in that way. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean you could tell it was like for a purpose and everything, getting everyone acquainted mm-hmm. with this universe that they're just about to dive headfirst into and then choosing something as as minuscule as like yellow text was to clash against the the spacey dark background and to like make it pop to viewers so that they could read it and also it going at the speed it was it was all a very deliberate choice it's just so interesting that like when we get to the sequel films by the time we did that it's still something as revered and completing to a star wars film as a lightsaber is you know like it feels like you almost can't have a star wars film without it at least in the mainline series because then we ended up seeing something like rogue one or solo come out without one right Mm -hmm. but even in like the opening scrawl like um like obviously i've like seen it before and like i know like the history kind of like behind it with the prequels and everything but like reading it like and it's like talking about the rebels and this whole like galactic empire and you're like what like i didn't see the trailer for this movie so i don't know what the people were like new going into it but then it's like help princess leia like plans from the death star i would have been so confused and like wow like i'm so excited to see like what this all means but like it's so weird to think about this was literally the first movie and you have like no like background whatsoever Well, yeah, especially when you take that and put it through the lens of this is the late 70s and there really isn't much popular culture sci-fi at the time. There's maybe what Star Wars and Doctor Who and stuff, not Star Wars, sorry, Star Trek and Doctor Who and stuff like that. And maybe like the Twilight Zone, if you want to consider some of those episodes like sci-fi or like Ray Bradbury novels. But a lot of it was in book form and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like a, a seeing a lot of sci-fi take shape in the way it did. Sure, we probably got some TV series at the time, especially through like pulp comics and like magazines and stuff that were all catered around like nerdier interests. This was like the first real mainstream exposure, though, to something of this caliber, of something this wondrous and sprawling across a universe that nobody had prior been acquainted with. Yeah, exactly. It's so insane to think about. Like, just imagine, like, you're able to time travel and, like, going to, like, that premiere. Yeah, that would have been wild. And and nobody knew how much of a lightning bolt was bottled in that year, you know, and like eventually what it's becoming now just uh over 40 years later and seeing the stuff that got announced today and it's like wow, nobody could have guessed the behemoth it would have turned into. But I feel like everyone always talks about this when they talk about a new hope because it's like the easiest thing to yeah, <laughs> dig your claws into. So I mean like what do you think about stuff like 
showing Darth Vader this early in the movie and having stuff like the droids, because as you mentioned, like this is, this is a lot, like this is taking you into a whirlwind of excitement and, and awe and wondering what all these factors are and how they play. And so like, do you think introducing someone like star Wars as the villain of this trilogy in a sense, before he gets humanized later on, do you think uh, that was like a really smart move? Um, I thought it was a good move. Like some movies and like shows where they take so long to like introduce like something. Like I get frustrated and then I end up like googling it because I'm like, what is this? Like I can't deal with the suspense. But literally, it opens up. There's like fighting, and then there's like this dude decked out head to toe in this like insane suit, breathing weird, and then like these two droids like talking, and it's just like, what is going on? But them being introduced is like i don't know i liked it i liked having him like presented like immediately because then now you like okay now it's only like gonna like pick up from here yeah no i i feel exactly the same way and i i just put into the gears of my mind thinking about like you know a lot of these like 70s movies and stuff especially occupying this sphere sphere of like sci-fi and horror and all that they kind of start you off in like a weird way that like establishes the status quo but without necessarily showing you our main character just yet like if we ever get to mad max and you you watch the first film it starts off very similarly to how a new hope does in that it introduces something evil first rather than it introduces like how our main character is kind of persisting in this world around them and so it's like a status quo in in that it sets like oh this universe is in danger and stuff but we don't really get to see the real status quo that so many stories start off on like just just think of something like shrek as well like that starts off with our main character and showing how his life goes but we don't really Mm -hmm. get a taste of that until we finally touch down on tatooine and meet luke but even before luke touching down on Tatooine, we have the droids and we follow like the whole little Jawa story. So it's really interesting that the the movie chose to start off in this way with like delaying so much of what's going to carry us through the rest of the film. And it just shows that the subtle pacing of this movie pays off a lot more in the long run than we might give it credit for just upon watching. Yeah, I just recently watched like, oh my gosh, um thor ragnarok and you know how like movies have like different storylines within like the same movie and so you get like 10 minutes of like this plot and then like it ends on like a cliffhanger and then it switches back to like the second plot and you get like 10 minutes of that and it kind of just like switches back and forth yeah yeah it's like the whole classic like sitcoms style yeah yeah i feel like this didn't have it like it was all like put together like so cohesively and so like kind of like linear but not linear because like it started off with like darth vader and it just flowed really well like okay darth vader and then the droids on tatooine and then like the cantina and then it just all like sequentially followed really well yeah and it's it's like a building of elements you know like Whereas maybe later in the franchise or something like the prequel films, we kind of got established everything knowing what we were getting going into it. But with this, it's like a weird succession of like, here's this one building block and then here's how we create a tower of them by the end of the film. 
and it's so interesting because like it doesn't diverge from that at all i mean we should probably like get back to this later after we talk about the other elements but like it's i think that's really the mark of mastery when it comes to this film and like how it can it's so contingent upon that Mm -hmm. but um yeah it was really good but yeah we can definitely like talk about like the pacing and everything about it later after we talk about the other points but we've talked about it kind of like okay this is the first star wars film but because we've seen like the other movies and like rogue one how do you feel like watching it now after seeing like rogue one recently oh god wow damn i i i've always like thought of this question in that for the people who got into the franchise later or decided to start watching when they did it it must have been a kind of difficult thing to parse like do i want to start in release order or do i want to start with sequentially and and i always find that such a such like an alarming toss up because usually I always am like, yeah, just play it in release order. You know, like I, I don't really care about trying to get the story all in one take because if that was the case, so many other things that have like prequels and sequels to them as well, where like the third title might be like a prequel sort of establishment in a franchise. I don't really see the point in playing them like that like watching them like that because then you're not really getting it in the way that the cultural zeitgeist of the time wanted you to kind of perceive it as like i i feel like with the original trilogy you might as well just start with them all the time but yeah after watching something like rogue one and coming off the prequels so recently yeah it kind of does affect your your understanding of it all because you have a little more of that tragedy to work off of and like oh my god wow the the movie starts off right where uh darth vader uh (laughs) comes in from rogue one and it's like oh my god so you have all that kind of like melodrama and actual drama and tension to work off of when you're coming into the original trilogy from this perspective but um i feel as though these movies still stand on their own because by the time we finally got here, like, didn't this feel like such a palate cleanser? Like you eat this movie up and it feels like your, your world is, is finally brought back to an even pace, especially after seeing such a breakneck pace in the prequel trilogy and rogue one, like getting to this feels like such a refresher. It really does. Like, um, yeah, I think there's, like, a lot of, like, discussion about, like, how to watch them in order and everything, but I saw something that was, like, when you do it kind of, like, chronologically not in release order, like, with people who, I guess, start with Rogue One, they kind of, like, might not feel, like, the whole kind of, like, urgency of, like, why it's such a big deal that they, like, get those plans, and then, like, of course, the Vader at the, like, in the corridor at the end of the movie they kind of like i mean unless this person doesn't like know who vader is at all they're kind of just like okay who is this guy so i feel like this is like the one series that like there is like a benefit to watch it in release order but i don't know watching it like just serves how much like rogue one like sacrificed for all of this (laughs) i know yeah you because that that is one major benefit is that coming off of rogue one you you see how devastating 
those final 20 minutes were and everything and how it takes mold into this first episode but it's also cool because if you did watch these in release order rather than sequentially um you you kind of feel as though you're you're like luke where you're just very like ignorant but blissfully Mm -hmm. ignorant of everything else that happened in the franchise up to this point and you're just like oh okay going about my spacefaring adventure but man knowing all that happened that led up to this especially if you even went as crazy and and went hard watching like the clone wars or something leading up to this like jesus like that that would that would fry someone it literally fried me because when i've got like reintroduced i like started i was all over the place i think i watched the first i watched new hope and then episode five and then for some reason i went to the prequels and sequels and then went back to like clone wars and then i was re-watching clone wars and i was just like re-devastated of like i would literally just get like a random wave of sadness like throughout the day just like knowing that like anakin turned after like all their clone war adventures so like watching this one knowing about rogue one i'm just like wow this has like kind of not like more meaning but it's like kind of more like heavy and like the fact that when darth vader like boards the ship and he's like i know you're part of like the rebellion like where are the plans and leia has the audacity to literally be like what are you talking about? Like, I'm on a diplomatic mission, like, for Alderaan. <laughs> and he, v- literally in, like, Rogue One, Vader sees the ship, like, leaving. And he's literally standing at, like, the edge of the bay, staring at it. And she's still, I mean, I feel like Leia is, like, all Anakin and Luke is, like, all Padme. But it's just, like, man, she's holding up the lie to the very end. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. Like, oh, my God, that's actually such a good point. Because then if you even view it from that lens, like, knowing the stakes and everything that led up to this point i think it's quite the benefit then that plays to the strength of this movie if you look at it by itself that this movie feels so light and so like refreshing and and kind of like you're wearing new skin or new clothes going into this movie because like knowing all that dramatic tension and trauma and drama that's built up to this point i feel like by re-establishing itself within the franchise as just luke being so unjaded and blissfully unaware of everything else that's happened you as a viewer could also be like ah like you breathe such a sigh of relief seeing all this happen and it's also like very playful even when he's destroying the first death star like that like it's pretty damn cool in the sense that it feels very like childish and like oh my god like whoa uh this all feels so new and exciting and stuff and like even the way people die it's it's kind of like it's not funny of course but it's it's a lot less dramatic than the other movies kind of pitch people's deaths as yeah i would say so like luke was literally just like trying to get some power converters from the station but this feels lighter yeah definitely and even things like like just those kind of background things that we wouldn't really care about in any other film franchise something like the blue milk and and the jawas and everything like it's so funny to think that eventually everything was given a meaning in a sense you know like whereas this was just some like weird abstract quality to the movie and now it's 
it's so important. And when we go back and watch it, we just like fan out over this stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, especially the blue milk, like now they serve it at like Galaxy's Edge and like the sodas that you can get were literally in like circular, like kind of droid looking things. Yeah, like, isn't that so weird? Just, like, a little thing like that is now, like, a consumerist product available at Disneyland. <laughs> Capitalism. <laughs> Capitalism. Um, and, you know, I was also going to talk about, like, diverging way away from capitalism, looking at, like, the artistic qualities of this movie. Like, did you ever hear about how Star Wars was kind of an amalgamation of all of, like, George Lucas's, like, um, uh, inspirations and other sources of media that he so loved like um the japanese director uh back in like before these movies came out i don't know exactly for sure i only seen a video on it once so forgive my uh sheer ignorance on the subject but the kurosawa films which were these like kind of samurai films that came out um he was very much into them and that's where people think he kind of got the idea of having this these like you know, uh, nomadic Jedi and stuff, something like Obi-Wan existing and, and him being a space wizard might be lended to something like Lord of the Rings and how Star Wars basically came to be as like a love letter to all these different inspirational sources that Lucas took into account when making fil- these films. Yeah, I've heard of like his draw from like the samurai films. But I haven't heard much about, like, what else he kind of drew from. But it's really interesting to see that, like, a lot of it, like, the story, kind of, like, the force and, like, the collectiveness isn't, like, Western ideology. It's definitely, like, East, like, Eastern. It's not very, like, individualistic and, like, kind of, like, the hero's journey. But, like, the Jedi Order is all about, like, connecting with one of them like one another so it's really cool to see like i felt like that was like refreshing to like what is kind of already popularized yeah especially at that point because like you know the exposure to japanese media and stuff only really became as prevalent as it is now maybe in like the 80s and 90s as stuff like anime and stuff charted overseas and we got to see how um Japanese people designed their their artistic works and everything and I think it was cool that Lucas took these ideas of like eastern philosophies and these humanistic values in addition to like melding them with something like the western and and like this whole like sense of pride that comes with being a cowboy and the like and and kind of just making this mashup that could so many people could resonate with like for it being like a real big mass market movie that appeals to like everyone and anyone it sure did it in probably like the best way possible by regarding all these cultural touchstones that that he was calling upon Mm -hmm. it was Knowing that, it just, like, makes the movie... I feel like anything just, like, adds to this movie. Like, it's such a great movie. Yeah, and and like you said before, it's so, like, undiluted. Like, it's so, like, much of a straight shot that it feels so good to watch. Because you, you go into it on rewatches expecting these story beats to happen when they do. And you just are, like, it's that part. 
you know like it's it's the ultimate comfort movie in a sense and then you just have so many you know stranger elements that make it even more fun like the jaw was existing and and uh uh stuff like the jedi mind tricks and everything else that occurs uh later on when they uh finally go on to the uh um the empire ship there the death star <laughs> i don't know why i said empire ship um when they finally get onto there and you get to see all the cool stuff happen with obi-wan and vader like uh there's just so much personality to this film absolutely um i was thinking like this is like kind of like digressing but like in the beginning you know when like they just bought the droids and then like uncle owen's talking about like luke staying on for another season and luke's like i want to go to the like academy with my friend like i don't know if it's me just like not researching it but like is he talking about like the imperial academy because like i don't think the empire would like have like a rebel academy just like there to (laughs) have people like pick which one they want to go to like yeah that's true unless like he meant it as though people already knew it was um uh like an established thing in the underground like not many people knew about it but like for those who who knew about and sided with uh rebel causes maybe maybe it was kind of like a thing that that especially people on like Tatooine would know about because they're all like living out in the boonies and stuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so maybe, that- maybe it could have been something like that. But yeah, you're right. Maybe they're referring to something like the Empire Academy, but I don't think they would call upon that because it's like fuck that, right? Yeah. But um because he I think he said his friend's name was like Biggs, Briggs, something. And then he we see him like flying and he was like in the obviously like rebel uniform. So I was like did you go to like an Empire Academy and then like deflect or like, as you said, like, was this like an underground kind of like, we know how to get into this? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know. I, 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 Sorry, I thought it was funny that you said deflect because I'm like thinking of when uh, Luke is training uh, with <laughs> the little droid and he's like trying to deflect the, the, the mini blaster bolts. I, I'm like, did she mean defect? Yeah, I meant defect. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I was like, okay, holy shit. Uh, But yeah, I was thinking of that scene. It was pretty funny. It's just so funny when you think of like little things in this movie that you could like remember and it's just like, oh my God, wow, holy shit. Um, uh, uh, Just that little scene right there. I I just remember it. I'm like, oh my God, I guess it's a testament to this movie and how like laser engraved it is into our minds. Mm -hmm. And then obviously following that is like the iconic twin sons, the music, the shot. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, uh, it's so cool how, like, something that simple with, like, just two sons makes uh, makes that scene more iconic than it should be. Because it's just, like, any sunset scene in a Western, but by having that sci-fi flair to it, I think that's why it's so well-revered. In addition to, obviously, John Williams' score. But, man, like... I like and the shots are so simple too. It's literally just an over the shoulder and then like a reverse shot to Luke's face and the light glistening against it and that's it. But like it's really just the the everything coming together in that moment that makes it as cool as it is. I my wallpaper for my phone is like I found it on like Instagram or like Twitter and like now I feel bad cuz I don't know who made it. So like I'm sorry. Like, I would give him credit, but it's literally, like, an edit of, like, an archway where Anakin and Padme got married, and it has, like, 
the lake and like the background but then like the sky has like a purple and pink tint with the binary suns and it's like so beautiful to me oh my god yeah that's so rad it just sounds cool thinking of it yeah so it's just like you're right it's literally just a sunset but something yeah it's better than that yeah it's just it's so much more and uh um yeah we already kind of talked about like uh you know having all this planned out um or not when episode one had come out oh i guess episode four now um but yeah and and was there something you wanted to mention about like anything before we like leave tattooing here um i'm looking it over right now i think we like hit everything i think i like mentioned this before but like darth vader's literally like i need those plans and it's like his own droids from his (laughs) past life are the ones like nah fam you're not getting it today like and this whole thing kind of like happens because like it's his droids which is like funny to me yeah it is funny yeah isn't it weird like like do you think uh they both knew in that moment because r2's never had his memory wiped. do you think he was like like screaming on the inside knowing that's anakin right there yeah but i've also seen that like r2 doesn't know that Darth Vader is Anakin because when he went with him to Mustafar to just annihilate those separatists, um, <laughs> Anakin told him to stay in the with the ship. Oh, so he you're stayed. right. So all he knows is Anakin never made it back to the ship. And then I know through like Clone Wars, it's like established that like Bail Organa somehow got the droids. And so like I don't think unless like Obi Wan told him, but I don't know. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, I never really considered that. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. And then, obviously, Mark Hamill, looking very good. Um, <laughs> funny that he's, like, I mean, you, we don't really, like, see it now in the first. It's kind of only being set up. But, like, obviously, Luke's, like, kind of the only light-sided Skywalker. I mean, I guess, like, Ben toward the end, but, like... And I guess there's Leia, but oh my gosh, could you imagine like a fully fledged like Jedi Leia? Damn, that would have been crazy. But you know what? Yeah, when when you mentioned like the whole uh, parental hold that um, uh, Anakin and Padme have over uh, like how Luke and Leia act, yeah, you can kind of see it in their shooting faces too. Really? <laughs> yeah, like later on, you know, like when they're shooting on the. Uh, uh, in the hallways and everything like you can kind of see it in their faces like when luke shoots it's kind of like padme he puts a lot of like <laughs> like face into it it's <laughs> no. interesting i'll have to like look at their pictures but yeah, yeah i think can... that's oh sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say i think that's all i had for tatooine i mean the tuscan raiders obviously played a big part in like anakin's kind of turning in the prequels but like we don't know that now if we're gonna say we like watched this as like the first movie yeah do you think they ever like uh were that big of a uh um like hurdle to to um uh, uncle owen and everyone living on the farm there like do you think they ever encountered the tuscan raiders that much i feel like they would i mean just because in like the prequels there is like kind of like issues and like conflicts with like they obviously like kidnapped his mom and like other settlers i guess who are just living in tatooine and then in mando they like play a part and there's kind of like a conflict between them and like the settlers there 
as well. But I don't know. I see. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I guess that's it. But going back to like your point of like, do you think Lucas had like the story planned out? I mean, yeah, he had like, I think a sense of like Ben Kenobi's kind of like history. And he like obviously put the Clone Wars in the script. So he was already thinking about kind of like a past in the whole Empire thing. But it just like is so funny because this didn't happen in this movie, but the whole like um Luke and Leia kiss, I don't think he planned that as yeah. far out as he did about everything else. Well, you know what's weird about that one point right there is I remember being in a Discord when we were talking about Star Wars. We were just on the topic of episode nine originally, but then it kind of like transformed into talking about the whole series and all that and i remember one guy trying to claim that lucas knew they were siblings or planned for them to be siblings from the start and for them to kiss he put that in there as (laughs) dramatic irony so that it was an intentional choice basically like this guy was arguing that incest was meant to happen and and it was meant to be there so that us as an audience are like, ooh, whoa, that's that's weird and like tantalizing and strange and oh my god, how how appalling, right? But then the other guy that was arguing against him was like all disgusted and mortified that he would even think that George Lucas would consider that because then that would mean that George Lucas is condoning like incest in a way. And it, it's just weird. I don't think that was like a planned thing. But then this guy like definitely thought it was. What the heck? Um, I know, yeah. It was just so strange to think of it from that perspective. That's kind of, like, in line with, like, how J.J. Abrams said, like, the Raylo kiss was, like, a friendship kiss. Like, <laughs> sir, that was not a friendship kiss. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck are these people headcanoning up in here? I know. Even Mark Hamill took it to Twitter and was like, mmm. Yeah, it's just, it just doesn't seem likely. And then even with something like The Force, um, like, I think it was always meant to be this open-ended thing that could kind of just accomplish whatever the narrative was necessitating it for, you know, like, I don't think how, when we will get to episode eight and like that whole Leia thing happens. Um, I don't, and people were like trying to come up with all these hard and fast rules of how the force works and everything. Like, of course there's like a system and like a, uh, a kind of like rule set for it and everything and like boundaries for how far it can extend and like what it can accomplish. But like, I feel like, especially in this first movie, you kind of just see it being used for whatever, like when Obi-Wan disappears and obviously later becomes a force ghost, but he knew in that moment he was going to become a force ghost. And also with something like the Jedi mind trick, when they're going into the city where, uh, most Eisley is and everything like the cantina and and they do like the whole little like oh the you know these are not the droids you're looking for and all that um yeah it was just so uh so strange because like i think the force wasn't really planned to be this this huge like sweeping thing at the start of course it was it was there but i think it was more there to like act as a crutch for the plot yeah which is so weird to well i don't know what you would call it but like the whole force thing it's like it surrounds all living things connects us and then like when luke's like riding down the death star like trying to shoot it obi wants like use the force like trust the force and you think of it kind of as like a kind of like guidance but then like 
there's also like skills to acquire with it, like the mind tricks and like all the things that like the force can do now, like with Leia in episode eight. And then like, I don't know, it's kind of weird just to think about like, okay, it's like a spiritual thing. And then also like also gives you powers. Yeah. And, and I feel like the only uh, pieces of media within this franchise that like behave kind of a, a, a hard rule set for how the force behaves is something like the spinoff type stuff or not spinoff really, but like the extra stuff that's like kind of thrown in between like the clone wars, like that behaves a pretty strict rule set and everything. But I feel like the movies kind of just get, get away with whatever the fuck they want. Like, especially yeah. when we get to the next episode and Luke does that like humongous jump, like, Oh yeah. Like, the force he, jumps. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like that was literally just there because it's like, Oh, the force acts in mysterious ways. But then obviously later on, we, as fans, we, contextualize it and we say oh yeah that's possible but something like ray learning to force heal isn't possible and i feel like it's just not the case like i feel like it was meant to be open-ended and kind of like weird you know like at least how the movies use it because like especially this original trilogy they kind of get away with fucking murder yeah they do um speaking to that though like i feel like this like the fan base is so like Obviously, there's people, like, I like all the movies, like, I like to joke and, like, crap on things, but, like, I really don't care as much as, like, people who are, like, Disney ruins Star Wars and, like, all this thing and, like, that can't happen because, like, that's not what the Force does. Like, when, um, Holdo takes the, like, spaceship and, like, puts it into, like, light speed into, like, Snoke's ship or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. Like, that can't happen like why don't and i was like okay literally we're it's literally a sci-fi movie like now you want to pick and choose like how space works well and um, I, w- I would even go as far to say like i think they only uh, i mean not to <laughs> diverge too much from episode <laughs> four but like we'll get back to that in episode eight of course but i feel like the only reason people made such a ruckus about it is because it was a woman that did yeah, it honestly yeah but obviously we'll get back to that shit later on but like i feel like that's the main reason why i feel like the fans kind of like okay we'll we'll throw you a bone with stuff like episode two episode nine it's like yeah solo the cluster fucks right but mm-hmm. like at least at least you know that these these films are trying to do something for the most part like i could see at least episode nine as being a little spineless but what we get in in this original trilogy nobody really complained like you you never saw anyone like saying luke was a mary sue and everything yeah. you know like like I, I mean i i feel like we should reserve all that for when we get to the sequel trilogy but yeah it's just so interesting the discourse around this shit because like luke does a lot of like weird shit in this original <laughs> film like, weirdo. <laughs> yeah he's a little strange guy like especially um if you want to like kind of jolt ahead a bit for when we get into like the cantina and like all you, you know he's just like leaning over the counter like trying to like get into the into the feel the vibe of of the cantina and everything and like this guy's picking a fight with him and he's just he just like doesn't react to it at all and then here comes obi-wan to like cut off the guy's hand and everything and and so like i don't know i i feel like um it like time does a lot of favors for our opinions on things you know like especially when it comes to this franchise yeah not to like digress to the past topic but like falling in line with like force abilities how this um in 
force healing was like introduced in like the Mandalorian with like the child. And like I did not see like a single like complaint about that until like episode nine. And I'm just like, excuse me? Wow, really? Is that the case? Yeah, I mean I really don't know because I I don't know which one came out first, but Yeah, no, I think episode nine did because uh actually wait, did it come out December twenty eighteen or nineteen? I think nineteen. Yeah, so never mind. I think Mandalorian's first run was already out by then. I'm pretty sure it was because I remember working where I did at that time and I remember my coworkers talking about how sick the Mandalorian was. Yeah, okay, I just looked it up. It came out in November and then episode nine came out in December, right? Like near Christmas. Okay, yeah, that makes sense then why it's so close because I quit like a month after the Mandalorian came out. So like that's why it feels like it was in such close proximity. Yeah. So I just feel like whichever way Star Wars like continues to go, especially with like all these new released like shows, like the force can literally be used in like whichever way they feel fit. Like I bet like during the Kenobi series, like some new skill of the force is gonna be like shown. No, definitely. And even with like the prequel films, we kinda like passed over it a lot but like you know them doing like their super speed at the beginning of episode three i think it oh was oh my gosh in front of like, the vault <laughs> yeah like so like that shit on top of like um uh, uh like obi-wan chucking his his does he chuck his lightsaber at that one point when he's fighting grievous or no i, I think it just falls off and grievous picks it up right i think so yeah when they're doing that like whole chase scene and everything and uh um and Obi-Wan has to use the staff to fend him off and everything and get his lightsaber back. Um, but yeah, anyway, with all that, like, yeah, shit was introduced in, in the prequels that was never talked about before, but people didn't make a big fuss about it. But of course, we'll save more of that discourse for when we get to the, the sequel trilogy. But yeah, it, it just, yeah, you're right. Like, it pisses me off. Yeah, but kind of looping back to, like, your question that you wrote, or, yeah, you said the Force talk, like, do you think Luke really grasped it in this moment? And that moment was when, like, Obi-Wan gave him Anakin's lightsaber. And I personally don't think, like, Luke completely understood it. And maybe he didn't even completely understand it then. But when he fi- he stopped using the, like, mm, fighter's nav tracking target system. And he, like, was trusting the forest. I feel like that's when he kind of, like, really understood it. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think the concept was maybe planted at that point, but he would not come to understand it until maybe even like, you know, uh, uh, Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't, I don't think because that's like the whole thing with Luke is that he's kind of like this, this loner, like this, this weirdo outcast and everything who then gets swept up into this sweeping plot that that means something for the entire universe and everything and so like i think that's like his whole character is that he doesn't really like sure he's really gifted but he never understands how gifted he is until the moment necessitates it like later on what we see in episode six where when it comes to you know where push comes to shove like something really monumental happens at the end of that film yeah also isn't it weird to think that, like, I don't know how old Luke is in this movie, but to think that, like, when they discovered Anakin, 
the Jedi Council was like, he's too old to be trained. And like, Luke is already like so much older than like Anakin was. And he's still able to like pick up on like the force like quickly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and Anakin's supposed to be the chosen one too. So mm-hmm. yeah, it makes you wonder like, I, that's why I think the whole thing with the Jedi order was kind of a lot of BS that they're spewing because they had to like keep an order. They had to keep a hierarchy, you know? And so look at something like um, Luke, he's much older to start training and stuff, but he still gets a grasp on it. And and maybe you could call mm-hmm. it on his bloodline or his like yeah. his heritage and everything. But I don't know. I feel like that the Jedi order enforcing it in such a way it kind of like neutered a lot of the potential of these young padawan yeah also not to be like jumping around but like just speaking about the hierarchy is that like luke i guess if you want to say obi-wan was like his master literally had his master for like 24 hours like he was literally taught i mean yeah he gets trained by like yoda later but like in that in this movie, he literally has, like, Obi-Wan just until they get to the Death Star. And then, like, Obi-Wan becomes, like, the Force Ghost and, like, can help him through there. But oh, I just yeah. think it's interesting that, like, you're right. Like, the Order's like, okay, Master, there's Apprentice, Padawan, Knight, and then you can be a Master. And it's like, Luke literally is, like, all over the place. Like, would you even consider him, like, a Padawan or a Knight? Or, like, what even is he? And also, speaking to that, how when vader and like obi-wan are like finally fighting on the death star and darth vader was like i was once the i don't know what but now i'm the master and i'm like "Mm, sir isn't technically like palpatine your master if we want to get like technical (laughs) yeah you know i wonder if that's because a lot of the different priorities with these movies because maybe you know like with the whole like midichlorians uh toss-up that happened when the prequel films came out and like a lot of people were mad because that that kind of like downplayed a lot of the um uh, mystery of how the force works and like how there are like just chosen people and everything like the midichlorians basically made it so that oh you now you're just born with it you know like maybe she's born with it type thing yeah Uh, (laughs) and so i wonder if that was just differing priorities because like with the prequels you know they were trying to establish this thing that was very much an an order that was formed to to kind of give power to the force and and keep it contained so that no evil would have came about it but then obviously look at something like once it's dissolved now in episode four by the time we get to it and you see that luke's still able to act within good bounds of it you know without all that proper training that came before yeah it's so interesting how it kind of like all changes like throughout all the movies yeah well i i think the the major thing here with like the version we saw on disney plus is how they they use the um the special edition stuff like the cgi and mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, like, what what are your thoughts on something like the CGI these days? And have you ever seen, like, the original cuts of the of these movies? I don't think I've seen the original cuts. Because in the episode, um, was it six? Is that where, like, Han gets, like, captured and Leia's, like, a slave? Yeah, yeah, that's episode six at the start of it. That Jabba isn't CGI, right? Or is it? No, I think he's, yeah, I think he's actually a puppet. There. Yeah, so I've seen that, like, the puppet him, and then, like, the CGI him, I was like, that's kind of funny looking, but, like, 
I'm not going <laughs> to let that take away from what's going on. Oh, yeah, that, that's the thing that sucks is, like, apparently uh, it didn't look as bad as it did in the original cut, but, you know, when he goes over it with, like, the special edition version of these movies and we get the CGI, that's what's kind of left in with, like, these uh, this this version that we could see uh, massly these days and everything. And there is, like, a version you could download online if you ever want to where it's, like, the fan cut and it's, like, a super cut of all three movies. But um, they take the best qualities of the CGI and the uh, in in the newer versions of the films, but they mix it in with a lot of the practical effects and and handling of the films with the original cuts. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Them. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I don't know. I think the whole Jabba thing being introduced. I feel like so many things obviously gets introduced because of like this is like the first movie, but. This is kind of like going back to like the pacing and the shots of this movie. It's like it opened up in like the kind of governmental, like not like an everyday kind of life. Obviously, we're not all princesses and whatnot, but then it like transitioned to like this seedy cantina and there's like smugglers and there's like Jabba, like who's Jabba? And I think it was so interesting to see like the contrast between like obviously this is happening in like the same universe, but I thought it was done well where like. It wasn't jarring. Yeah, because that's also the first like real uh, um, look at something so like uh, in inhuman, you know, like something that's so like beastly and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, and and getting something like uh, uh, Boba Fett introduced in the same scene as well, it kind of like sets up for uh, later on when we get to see more of them. Yeah, he had like a quick little like five second clip, but that yeah. was good. Um, I think the next part of, of the notes we kind of just talk about like the Death Star. Um, didn't what didn't Anakin no. Was it Darth Vader who cut himself off from the force, which is why like Obi-Wan uh-huh. couldn't like sense him, or was it Obi-Wan who like cut himself from the force so like Vader couldn't sense him? Yeah, maybe it was it was Ben. Kenobi. Maybe <laughs> it was. Him. Yeah. Maybe it was cuz uh, he was trying not to be sensed at that time and he was in hiding as an outcast and everything. Um yeah, maybe it was him, but maybe it, it could have been Vader as well and through like uh Sidious is doing. Yeah, it's kind of inter- I literally just had this thought, but in the way that we know it if we've only seen this movie is that their fight kind of has a sense of like been kind of getting like revenge because as far as we know vader killed luke's dad and like i don't know it's just weird like we don't see it it's like oh my gosh it's like anakin and like obi-wan it's literally just like oh this dude killed like yeah that's true yeah and i guess that like goes back to when we were talking about like watching it in a certain order Mm -hmm. if we just started with this one yeah you you don't know what darth vader's beef is yeah you're like okay you've sensed him and what like what now yeah, and you don't even know really who Vader is. You know, like you you know of Anakin because Obi-Wan talks about him a little bit before they set off tattooing, right? Yeah, about being um, like the best star pilot. Yeah, like so you hear a little bit about that, but you don't really know who's under that mask and you don't really put two and two together just yet. Yeah, I think that's interesting because it's like we obviously see it as like, oh my God. Yeah. The long awaited yeah, duel. 
I know, yeah, seriously. And then like uh, that little video we watched as well that Jake told us to watch that kind of like it's the SC38. Um, it's like that fan version of like the the duel and everything to make it a lot more climactic um, mm-hmm. instead of what we get in the actual film where, you know, Vader just kind of strikes him down. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought that one was super cool because it kind of like gives room for your your mind to work of like what they're doing in the hallways maybe that like spit them out to that point where the like ship bay is and everything and uh, uh you could kind of like envision them actually fighting like that and and using their their powers in such a way and and one thing i really liked about that little video uh for for those who haven't seen it just look up like star wars sc38 on youtube and it's pretty much just a reenactment or re-envisioning of obi-wan's and vader's uh little fight on the death star there uh, before they set out and um i thought it was neat in there and and that it captured the fact that like anakin can't raise his arms up that much mm-hmm. be- because there's such like heavy metal hands that he's working with and he's essentially all operating on like stubs yeah that's you know true. Like, like yeah like it's super cool to see yeah i just thought that was interesting and that i'm glad you sent that to me because i've always heard about it but like i've never actually like watched it yeah yeah like it uh, that was the first time i watched it too so yeah thank jake for that one thank you jake (laughs) and uh but before we leave the death star that trash compactor scene mark hamill always brings this scene up apparently in interviews that jake was telling me and like it's funny because he notes kind of like the weird discrepancy of how as soon as they leave the trash compactor area despite luke being pulled under his hair is like kind of drier than it was when they were just in there and it, it's kind of funny because you you could tell it's still kind of like washed over a bit, you know, but it's not as like sopping wet as it was when he first pulls out of the uh, out of the water there. Yeah. And like Leia's wearing white. Like, I'm glad it didn't come off as like see through. But like, I know. Jesus Christ. And, and you could tell, too, like, like her her outfit is very like loose, you know, and uh like, thank God they didn't, like, try to pervert it in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, like, with the guys, they're pretty much wearing robes, unless you can't haunts, like, <laughs> skinny jeans, in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's funny, because then, after that, of course, they they uh, leave and swing across that little uh, area. And I was talking to Jake during that part when we were watching it, and obviously we were on mute and everything. I was talking to Jake, and I was like, why why is it the trash compactor scene that Hamill remembers so much when it's like so much cooler the very next scene? Uh I guess it's the more obvious pick, but it's so cool how they like swing across that little chasm. Cause I know like the bridge is supposed to extend, but what was that room supposed to be? Like I was trying to piece it together. I'm like, is this connecting two like disparate parts of the ship together? Because like why the hell would they just have a room this this much of an annoyance to traverse you know like but then i was looking up or you know when they look up and he sees like the little opportunity to throw his his um his grappling hook around so that they could swing across Mm -hmm. and you see like those little uh whatever the hell they are like the, the pipes or whatever and i guess that's like a reactor room is it oh i just kind of thought of it as like maybe if there was like a fire in one part like it stops oh my god wow that's actually yeah that's a good point too maybe like a little fire escape yeah like to make it make sure it doesn't just like spread throughout the whole thing oh that's actually yeah that's a really good point and maybe they have the bridges there to just cut off access to the rest of it 
Yeah. I mean, but it, yeah. so if it's a reactor room, like, they don't want just, like, anybody going in there. That, yeah, that's true. I don't know. It's a weird thing. But, yeah, I was thinking about that. And, like, so many weird things, too, in, that happen on the Death Star. Because, like, remember, they get their... Uh, um, they get their clothes back right after they get out of the trash compactor. Where were they holding their clothes that whole time? You got me there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Jake pointed it out when we were just finished watching that scene and we're like, wait a sec. Like where the fuck did they, was that inside the uniforms the entire time? I thought they were already in their uniforms, but now that I'm like recalling, I remember Luke was like back in his clothes. I would just like assume they were under the stormtroopers and somehow they didn't get wet like there was a seal yeah like a wet yeah, seal okay. i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe that's the case you just think you like for han it makes sense but for like luke like those are some baggy <laughs> like that's a baggy tunic he's wearing yeah it's kind of you know like so I, I don't know he i guess he just tucks really well <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so when they finally leave, that's when they go and meet up at the rebel base to like stage the attack finally, right? Yeah, they go to Yavin 4. Um and then I just was thinking like Luke and Leia didn't have much time to like mourn any of like the deaths. Like Luke just saw lost his like aunt and gold, literally saw their burnt crisp corpses. And then Leia just lost her whole home home planet. And they're like, now nah, let's get into this. Let's um dive straight into this whole rebellion thing <laughs> yeah it is interesting too because like we don't see what is really going on on the ship there like for as like slow pace and like slow burner of this movie it is um we don't really get to see all the time they spend on like the space travel so maybe luke is like grieving on those scenes in between but i guess it's just more so like a storytelling decision that they choose not to show that well, it seems or maybe they like, just like don't care because he's like so swept up. He's so like busy. Yeah, it just kind of seems like when they first get back into the ship, he seems like so sad and like grieving more Ben than like his aunt and uncle. Which, on a counter note, that Obi Wan's like mission was like separate the twins and then have them like reunite, and he finally gets to see them like reunited before like dying, and I think that's like so sweet. Oh my god, yeah, I never put it into perspective like that. That's actually really nice. It, like, feels so good, like, knowing. Um, yeah, so uh, one thing I was going to mention about Yavin 4 was that, like, it's really cool how the establishing shots work there because it, it cuts over to, um, you know, that scene where, like, I think Grand Moff Tarkin's talking to Vader or something like that, or or maybe it's the scene where Vader chokes the guy. Which, um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah he like chokes the guy do you think like the dark side has like ever used that for like kinky shit in their past um maybe i feel like vader is like too like this is like sacred and like whatever <laughs> but i definitely feel like if you have like a temple literally filled with just like padawans and knights and like let's not have attachments but let's like let's get a little freaky up in here like oh yeah literally because like there's the one uh, uh, Sith apprentice that I think like Darth. Uh, oh, her name's Darth Zana, and she's literally like a dominatrix. Good so for I'm her. like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, good for her. They they come out of like uh, Knights of the Old Republic. If you ever heard of those games, 
Um, I don't know how canon they are anymore because you know, like the calling that they did on, yeah. on like all the extended universe stuff. So like, but she was like the apprentice of Darth Bane from like the KOTOR games and everything. And she's literally dressed up like a dominatrix. So like go off Queens. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. she, I mean, it must be established in like legends. Yeah, it must be something like that. But I, I but anyway, my real point about Yavin <laughs> Four was that it, I th- I thought it was really cool how like it, it cuts over to that scene first, but then when they come back to Yavin Four, even for as little bit of a time as we get to spend there before like Rogue One comes out and we get to see a little more of it, like I love the establishing shot of like the guy up in the watchtower, and then it cuts to like the forest surrounding Yavin Four, and that's all we see before it goes into the meeting, and it's like just two little shots like that and it gives us so much for our mind to work with on like visualizing how this entire planet works mm-hmm. like i i just love the series when they have like establishing shots like that and i guess that's why something like episode nine uh, here here's my uh uh episode uh version of shitting on episode nine again uh uh in episode nine everything feels so suffocating because we don't get a lot of these establishing shots you know so like i i like and appreciate how in the original trilogy we get a lot of like room to breathe yeah no it's, i at first i was kind of like i don't really see it like maybe i'm not like focusing too much on the shots but definitely like when episode nine like first started and it's like great action with kylo on like mustafar and i was like whoa whoa like where are we where's like the little overview shot yeah it's just so much going on and luckily like this film as we you know leave yavin four and we the you know the final space combat scene i think there's still like at that point like maybe 35 minutes left right mm-hmm. yeah there's still like a lot of time and like even that space fight alone like taking out the death stars engines and and the core and all that stuff and blowing its smithereens like even that's paced super well like and it's slower than anything else we've seen in the entire franchise but it, it all adds up like all the building elements and the tension of like vader chasing after luke who's like way more experienced of a pilot and i thought this is what i was going to refer to earlier when we were talking about like anakin's abilities as mentioned by like obi-wan when he's like giving him that speech about like being a really great pilot i think if you started with this movie and you listen to that line and then you see how vader's flying in that scene you could kind of almost put it together that oh my god maybe this is the anakin like yeah. like that we heard about like i and i'm like that's a cool little like easter egg for people to like catch on to early even though i don't think you're meant to like put it together like that but it's neat how it shows that vader's like proficient at flying like even when he spins off like that remember when he like flies out of like the the um the canyons on the death star and he like goes spinning out into space like he still knows how to like stabilize himself yeah exactly i was yeah that's yeah, that's point. like a cool little attention to detail in his characterization that that he still keeps this sense of piloting about him. Yeah, I was going back to like the pacing. Um, I just noticed like usually in like action and like war movies when like they're gearing up for like a big battle, I feel like they play like like kind of like pumped up music to like get to get you watching like okay like this is a big one like this is like this is it it's about to go and like during this one there's like no music and it just like kind of made me more stressed out and like anxious because like okay this is probably what it's like in real life 
like they're not just like blasting music to like pump you up it's like you're getting into the spaceship and you're like okay well like i could live and die like let's get my astromech into oh my god that's actually so sick because i've always noted how um this film doesn't really like bombard you with score Mm -hmm. as much and like when it finally does come you feel so much of that emotion that they want you to feel like it feels very intentional and and um poignant at at the times it does strike and you're right in this entire final fight there's like nothing really going on until like luke uh i think when he's like ramping up to finally destroy the core that's when like the music sets in right like when his he gets he like leans in and everything yeah and you're like yeah and you're like oh fuck like something's about to happen and like i think that's super cool because yeah you're right with so many other war movies you get this like score to accompany the the you know like everything going ape shit and all that and i feel like it just wasn't necessary here and that's what's like sorely lacking in some of the other films of this franchise it's just like let the moments breathe and like by omitting music in a way as an artistic choice you you create tension just from the shots on display like because you know music is very manipulative if you think about it you could put sad music over a lot of things and get people feeling the way you want them to feel Mm -hmm. but like i feel like by omitting it that allows people's minds to race even more and and the tension is built solely off of what's going on and what's like what's the camera focusing on yeah exactly it was i just remember like noticing it because i feel like i'm not very like observant and like the small details and stuff i think like maybe dialogue wise i am but like the shots and like score and everything i'm i just like take it in but i just remember when we were watching it i was like where where's like the hype and it's just like them all like kind of like somber and i was like oh my gosh like this is so cool to like feel this yeah well thank god you noticed it because i wouldn't have even brought that up like that like i feel like we couldn't talk about this final scene without that yeah yeah thanks thanks brain for helping me out for this one (laughs) yeah seriously lend it to him but i think this leads into like you brought up a really good point your last one yeah with uh with how um the pacing of this one like we've talked about it all throughout this episode so far but yeah just in reference to how it works within the framework of the rest of the franchise and how um this movie it's just slowly building up everything as it goes along and it feels like everything could could stand on its own and breathe and and you don't have any like suffocating feelings going on and it just feels like the antithesis of what we ended up getting with rise of the skywalker uh like i i feel this movie is just so so um so much of a slow burn but in the best possible way and uh like even more so than something like episode seven which starts off very similarly to this one Uh, like that's probably the only exception i could think of in that like it takes its time a lot to establish things and like put you into the shoes of the character they're trying to focus on yeah like these movies are like two hours but it's just like super interesting this is like the best like first movie like it sets up like the foundation so well and you know like it still holds up to like the sequels and like the sequential like episode um five and six that comes after like this one still feels like so well like shot through like the pace like it's kind of slow but it like gets all the like plot points done without like feeling 
rushed or like pushed for plot. Yeah, definitely. And like, I feel like even something as minor as the cantina scene, I feel like that would have never been accomplished in any of the other films. No, yeah. Even like, obviously, they go there to find like a pilot, but then like so much happens within there. Like, now we know that like there's a bounty on like Han and he like owes money. And then this just like shows kind of like the seediness of like the cantina because now people are like starting a fight and everyone just whips out that lightsaber like yeah like and and you're right like they literally just go there to find a pilot which is just a MacGuffin, and that's like how the plot is progressing forward like uh but there's so much more that happens there that's just so like world building and establishing of like these characters and and how they act when around other people because previously we've seen them in kind of a vacuum you know like where they only interact in their small little group but now we get to see these kind of larger than life figures all of a sudden be juxtaposed against these regular civilians and i feel like it's just such a good little sample platter of what we eventually get with like combining regular civilians in something like uh the sequel trilogy or something with like poe or finn and stuff who are people who are like relatively unremarkable in in comparison to uh our protagonists you know but like i i like in this movie how there's there's no like real plotting moments you know it all just like goes about beat by beat and they really work up towards something that pays off in the best possible way because that like award ceremony have you ever seen the video <laughs> with uh that them doing the uh the ceremony at the end but they take the music out no i don't think so okay it's actually really funny i mean like some of the sound effects are like added in after so that they can make it sound funnier than it is but it's pretty much as much of people clapping like really silently in a room and like chewbacca just like <laughs> like growling and and all that like speaking to everyone but like it just sounds so weird because they add in like echoes and everything because it's such a big place and uh yeah it's just really funny to see and like the way they look over at each other in front of like everyone else that's supposed to be watching but but the score itself is what makes it feel so triumphant. So it's funny when you take away an element as big as that, it it kind of like clashes with so much of what it's trying to get us to feel. And I think that's what this movie's all about is how it all comes together in just some weird way. Yeah. This I feel like it brought so many like you have so many good points of just like how this whole thing has like so many like properties that like make it such a good movie. Like obviously it wouldn't become what it is today if it wasn't like a good movie yeah definitely like it's a good film but also in the way that it blends everything to make it into what it is that's what i think makes it stand the test of time yeah absolutely yeah so thank god we got to discuss this film because i feel like it was such a good way to get over something like rogue one and then put us into the mindset of like what to expect from the rest of the franchise yeah i like I don't feel like any this is gonna sound so bad. I don't feel like any of like the originals are really like a comfort to me in the way that like Revenge of the Sith and maybe like Rogue One if I wanna like cry is. But this got me like like I kinda just like push them back. But like watching this one now kinda gets me hyped for like the continuing episodes when we do like four and five. Yeah, I know. Like, I mean, I'm definitely more invested in something like episode three, but these films are just the best in the sense of 
like looking at them as an artistic work and establishing what we ended up getting out of the franchise. And I, I really love them for especially what comes in like five and six. Um, I love just what they set out to do and how they do it so consistently and hardly ever drop the ball. Even though, of course, there are like the grievances along the way, like all the weird oddities, like we mentioned with their clothes and and the hair and all that stuff. And and just like the funny little moments of like how the, the force works and everyone getting outraged at it later on. Like it's, it's just so funny to see the simplicity of these movies, but also just how it fits within the overarching narrative of like what we end up getting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Oh, this has been such a crazy day, like, in the Star Wars world. Yeah, what a whirlwind between the announcements and just getting to, like, go where it all started. Like, damn, <laughs> talk about, like, looking at the progression of the series. It feels like a repeat of our first talk about Star Wars, but now within the mindset of, like, us having our shit together. Yeah, it's crazy to think about that you just pulled up, like, our first one because we're like, I don't know, like, what's coming next in Star Wars. And then they, a couple months later, they dropped a whole, like, 10 projects on us. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, like, yeah it's so wild. And I, I'm I'm strapped in for the ride because that's what I'm most excited about. And, like, the last thing I'll say with when I was talking to Jake earlier, I'm like, the people getting, like, so up in arms about their childhood being ruined and stuff. Like, the way Star Wars has released essentially, like, 20 years apart from each trilogy just about it makes it so these kids could grow up with something that they could take what they will from the franchise just like how these movies aren't going anywhere and you could still be uh motivated and influenced by them to this day like i i feel like why not just let these stories kind of unfurl and uh if they turn out good then that's just another piece of like star wars enrichment that we have you know and like if if no chance was taken with these films in the first place where would we even be today in terms of science fiction and all that stuff? So like, I, I think it's just like super cool and like <laughs> tying it back to our origins with this podcast. Like I love that, like just in our progression alone, like how far it's come in just these short number of episodes here and, and seeing the franchise be what it is today. Uh, it's just, it's really remarkable. Yeah. It's crazy to think that like, I mean, look at us, like we grew up, like we got, like introduced because of the prequels which were so like critiqued and criticized by like the older fans and like just how like we're critiquing like the sequels was like everyone's entitled to their own opinions but like i still like them like you know it's not like i'm not gonna be like oh my gosh they ruined my childhood or whatever but it's just, like that's the the sequels are like the prequels to like this generation and i feel like that was a good point of just like these like aren't really necessarily like made for us in a way like it obviously is because it's like part of like this star wars like canon and whatnot but this is like if this is what's getting like other this generations like into star wars and like and they're happy with it like why like argue in a way yeah yeah definitely it's like as long as we know where our roots is with uh our roots are with these films then it's like you pay homage, but you you find what you like most about it, and you just carry on. Like if someone's favorite is Ray, then it's like you can't really stop them, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's just like you know, like it's you can't force other people to like what you like and like not like what you don't like. No, exactly. Yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was a really good way to um, 
dissect this episode in such a meaningful manner. Yeah, because I was like, man, this can go like different ways of like how we want to like talk about like such a pivotal moment, pivotal movie. Yeah, seriously, like there's so many different like turnpikes we could have gone with this. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think it was I thought it went well. Yeah, definitely. I thought it went extremely well. Like, thanks for letting me come on for this one. And I hope uh, when as we go into these later episodes, like, I hope there will be even more to talk about because, like, I could really feel the progression of everything, like the elements and just our ability to talk. And I guess for people watching or, or listening, sorry, um, really just brush up on what you're going to talk about before you get into a recording because it sure does help. Yeah. <laughs> um. Not to, like, give away any, like, future plannings, but I think when we do, like, episode four and five, like, we'll definitely have, like, perhaps different insight by maybe a different person. Surprise, surprise. But. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to see how that uh, unfoils as we go on here. Yeah, so everyone, thanks for listening for this episode. Um, We had a great time making this one. Dylan, any last thoughts uh yeah just uh, for people who've been uh, listening this long like thank you so much for giving us the time of day and like i hope uh uh, yeah what we've uh done so far has impressed you and i hope like if there's anything about this film in particular that like has a lot of feelings elicited in you like i hope that this has kind of helped you uh kind of feel them out even more and like bring them to life in such a more vivid way uh than you might have in your head currently but who knows there are people who have thought about these movies way more than us but yeah <laughs> more yeah. research <laughs> yeah yeah people have been watching them for like 40 years now but hey at least i guess that shows the timeless appeal of these movies and uh yeah for my uh socials once again it's still weed as we has have established uh it's still weed but with the two eyes instead of the ease in the weed part thank you for being a fan and love you guys thank you for the patience for like coming along this far like i think we're like on episode like seven or eight and it's just like who would have thought we would have like a little star wars part podcast i know it's it, and it's a blast too it's a good way to finally talk about all this stuff uh, a lot more profoundly yeah and for like anyone listening they can i set up like a rogue space email it's like rogue x space at gmail if you guys ever want to send in like your own thoughts because it feels like i feel like the more like um like thoughts and like knowledge and like your own opinions like come it makes like this discussion like richer so like if anyone wants to send like their own like uh, observations like they can send it to that email yeah definitely that would be super cool like i'd love to finally just like crack into other people's thoughts on these instead of just what we have going on here yeah but you can find rogue space on instagram and twitter at rogue x space and then my personal is at valerie zizmer on instagram and just thanks again for listening like it's so exciting yeah thank you guys and thanks for having me val it's been a fun night of course of course crazy day crazy day yeah, now I have to get to watching The Mandalorian with Mon as so we could just you know be little babies, chill out to the, <laughs> the the tides of wherever the Mandalorian brings us, and so we could get to talking about that eventually. Yes, but till then we do have upcoming plans to finish out the nine 
main films. Yes, and I can't wait for it. So you have time to catch up on all the shows, but we will yeah. be getting to the shows. If, like, my, I have a friend who wants to join for, like, Rebels, and I'm, like, so excited to have him. Yeah, it'd be such a blast when we get to it. Okay. Have a great night, Dylan. Thanks, everyone, all for right. listening. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks, Val. Uh, I'm going to get some sleep. Yeah, it's kind of late. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.